Morning Encounter. Good to be with you today. Hey, can we just give a warm clap of just saying I love you, Lord, to the Lord today and just praise Him. Just breathe out a prayer that just tells Him how much you love Him today. I'm so thankful uh, to be with each and every one of you today and uh, grateful to be praising the Lord and get to continue to know people. I want to begin by just sharing some good news of some things going on in the church. Uh, I want to highlight a special person today. Some of you know that Pastor Jack uh, was the executive pastor of Encounter for 23 years and then retired. And then uh, in a season of transition, he came back as an interim executive pastor. And he's re-retiring this week and I want to thank him and Elaine. <laughs> So, we praise God for him. No, I think we need to give him another hand to thank him for that. And that's, that's for both Pastor Jack and Elaine. Thank you for your ministry. I, I consider Jack to be a once-in-a-lifetime executive pastor. So, I mean that, Jack. I have... Uh, just enjoyed our friendship and uh, so thankful for how God is using both of you. And we praise the Lord you're retiring and still here. And so we're thankful. So, But it's good for all of you to know he's retired again. So just so you know, so they can just enjoy serving with all of us together. Well, you know, uh, I would consider when I think about executive pastors, if I were to give a gold medal, I'd give it to Jack. Uh, on the executive pastor level. And when I think about the Olympics, some of you might think of a name uh, that I know of from Olympic history. And this is only for those of you who really know your Olympic history. Uh, the man's name was Jim Thorpe. Uh, Jim Thorpe was someone who understood adversity. Uh, he was a Native American who grew up in the early 1900s. And he knew all kinds of challenges. He faced some racism. He faced some prejudice. Uh, but and even as a child, he faced adversity. His twin brother died when he was nine years old. A couple years later, his parents passed away. He became an orphan. And yet God had blessed him with amazing athletic ability. And he would go on to become one of the first people in United States history to play both professional baseball and football. Uh, he was signed by the New York Giants in 1913, played six seasons with them. And then in 1915, on top of that, he was signed by the Canton Bulldogs, which were a part of the American Football League at the time, so which became the NFL. But if Jim Thorpe is remembered for anything, it's probably his Olympic influence. Because in 1912, he went to represent the United States in Stockholm, Sweden uh, for the Olympics, running the pentathlon and a few other events. And just before the pentathlon race was to begin, he went to go put on his running shoes and they were gone. Someone had stolen them probably to prevent him from running a great race that day. If you could imagine all of that training, all of that work, getting ready for the Olympics, and then missing like your number one tool as an athlete, which are your shoes for a pentathlon. But Jim Thorpe didn't stop there. What he decided to do was he began to rummage through a large trash bin, and inside the trash bin he found some old shoes. They weren't a pair of shoes, they were two different kinds of shoes. Uh, one was an athletic shoe, the other was a loafer, they were different sizes. He put them on and wore an extra sock to compensate for the different sizes. And you think about like a man like Jim Thorpe, he was motivated to run no matter what obstacles were thrown his way. 
He was determined to run the race that was set before him, no matter what the cost. And he was controlled by this internal drive to compete, so much so that later on, as he ran the pentathlon and competed in all the different events, he'd take home the gold that day, along with another event. And I look at his life, and I think to myself, what is it? that motivates a person like that to compete on that level. Now, what is the compelling force in their life that allows them to continue on even in the face of adversity and challenges? Now, what is the controlling force of what causes him to do what he does? And one of the things I want to invite all of us to consider today as we look at our own lives before the Lord this morning is what is the compelling force behind what we do day in and day out in our lives? What motivates us? What compels us? Because we're continuing on through this, the, book, uh, the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. We're in a message series that we're calling Unbreakable But Broken, where we're unbreakable in Jesus Christ, and yet we're broken by some other things, where, which actually God uses to make us whole. We're broken by His grace. We're broken by his comfort, we saw the last couple weeks, and today we're going to see how we're broken by his love that he uses to make us whole, and we're going to see how the compelling love of the cross can change anyone and everything, amen? Even me, even you. And we're going to see some powerful invitations from the love of the cross, uh, from the love of Christ. And the first one is let Christ's love control our lives above all else. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, our passage, we're going to be in chapter 5 and chapter 2 today. But chapter 5, verse 14 begins this way. For the love of Christ controls us. Whoa, 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 we better stop right there, I think. For the love of Christ controls us. Would you huddle up with me for a moment and just ask yourself today, does it? Does the love of Christ control me? I don't know about you, but man, I need God's help with that. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read the passage, the beginning of the passage that we're going to do today. And then we're going to pray and ask God to work a wonder in us this morning. Would you stand with me? And I'll read the passage and then we'll pray together. By the way, if you're a guest with us, we always put the scriptures on the screen, and you can also go to EncounterLife.org and go to the Resources tab and find the notes uh, for today if you'd like to download them digitally. Uh, but we're in chapter 5, starting in verse 14, where God says this to us from His living word. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for the sake, for their sake died and was raised. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. We thank you for every person in this room. We thank you for those listening online. Lord, it is not a mistake that any person is here today. And we invite you to meet with us, Lord. We invite you to work through your living word and through your Holy Spirit. We offer our hearts to you and just open ourselves up to what your love and your presence wants to do today. And we pray this in your name, Jesus, in your power. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please be seated. We're probably all motivated by a lot of different things in life. 
And today, part of what God's inviting us to realize is that one of the reasons we can be compelled to be motivated by the love of God is because we know who God is. We know who Christ is as our Savior, and we know what He's done for us in loving us so much that He came to the cross to pay a debt for our sins and now invites us into life with Him. And God actually wants us to understand the love of Christ, His love for us, on a greater and greater level every day. And verse 15 actually makes it really clear how we know when the love of Christ is controlling us and how we know other things are controlling our lives. God says it this way, And He died for all, speaking of Jesus, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. And when, light, when Christ's love controls us, we begin to find ways in our life, almost naturally as God is working in us, to love with a love that's greater than ourselves. Where we actually begin to love people and even love ourselves because we love Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, you know, one of the, I read once in a book, one author put it this way, your understanding of how you love yourself is related to your theology of who God is, the way we think of ourselves. And we're able to live that way because we realize and are experiencing that Jesus died and he was raised to invite us into life with him. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God in Jesus Christ is unique. Think about it for a moment. Just as the power of God transcends all human power, so the wisdom of God transcends all human wisdom. In a similar way, the love of God in Jesus Christ transcends all human love. It's this incredibly gracious love that does not demand that we stop being sinners before his love is offered to us. It's a love that does not say, I'll love you only if you do things. It's a love that's more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. The love of Christ took Jesus to the cross for us because of God's love for us before we ever recognized that was what God was doing. While we were sinners, the Bible says. And sin is this crazy, crazy thing in our lives. It's a little bit like a volcano, all right? Any of you feel like volcanoes today? All right. How many of you have ever been to Hawaii? Just curious. Some of you out there. All right. A number of you. Okay. If you've ever been to the big island, you like to go visit the volcanoes, all right, and see the lava flow. And to this day, you can go to the Kilauean lava flow. It's like a mile and a half long. You have the summit where the lava begins to pour out. It goes down to the ocean. And scientists actually debate how much magma pressure is still below the surface of the earth that has yet to come out of the Kilauean lava flow. In fact, they estimate, it's debated, but they estimate that there's still a hundred times more of, what, of the pressure that's already come out of that lava flow yet to come, meaning it would take years at the current rate for that lava to stop. And human beings are not unlike the Kilauean volcano eruption because the root of the human problem is this dynamic disease called sin that has taken over humanity. And it affects us in the core of who we are, in our soul. 
And it manifests itself in big ways, in small ways. You know, think about a volcano for a moment. Because sometimes when there's a volcanic eruption, you'll have a volcano that blows its top, all right? I mean, it's just dramatic, and there's ash everywhere, and fireballs, it takes out towns. I mean, it is just all over the place. It just blows its top. But other times when there's a lava flow, It'll actually come out in little cracks and these little insidious little fissures in the side of the mountain that'll kind of leak out of the mountain. And for us, when it comes to the way that sin impacts us, sometimes we blow our tops, all right? And sometimes we just kind of leak out the sides. But the truth is, whether you're a blow the top kind of person or you're a leak out the sides kind of person, the problem is the lava inside. The problem is the disease of sin that humanity has been impacted from, that impacts us in big and small ways that God sent His Son, Jesus, to come take care of for us, our sin problem. He took the initiative to send His Son because of His love for us, and He invites us to receive His forgiveness, and not only that, to receive Him into our life to trust Him as our Savior and, and to confess our sin to Him, to repent, the Bible says, and to tell Him we're sorry and to receive His gift of life. And not only that, to receive His righteousness too, for He changes us from the inside out. 1 Peter 3.18 puts it this way, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. And experiencing that level of sacrificial love from Jesus Christ is what motivates us to love others and influences our lives today. Because the love of the cross, Encounter Family, can change anyone and everything. Even me. Even you. If we'll take the invitation and continue to live in it. Another invitation is to let Christ's love give us a new perspective on people around us. Verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one, no one according to the flesh. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. God wants us to look at people around us with brand new eyes, with a brand new lens. He says, I want you to look through the lens of the love of the cross or the love of Jesus Christ instead of the lens of the flesh. And the Bible mentions the flesh, which is a biblical concept that simply gets slaughtered in meaning in the, in the English language. A lot of times when we think about flesh, uh, we think of our, you know, our flesh, you know, that, that's, that's our, our skin, the meat on our body. But when the Bible is talking about flesh, it's actually a spiritual reality instead of a physical reality. Uh, the NIV translation actually uses 48 different English words or phrases to translate that one word in the Greek New Testament. That's how difficult it is to translate. Uh, the New Living Translation says verse 16 this way, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. Uh, other translations say from a worldly point of view. I, I like to think of our flesh as it's like our old family history that we take into our new family in Jesus Christ. Uh, it's part of being a part of Adam's family. How many of you have seen Adam's family? Just curious out there. <laughs> all right. Come on. I want to see the hands out there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you have completely dated yourself, all right? 
Others of you saw the cartoon like three, four years ago. Uh, you know, but my parents watched the old black and white of Adam's family you know, when, when, they, when they were young. And if you're Gen Z or millennial, you have no idea what anybody's talking about right now. Although, actually, it could be almost retro to watch Adam's family in black and white now. It's almost like listening to vinyl records or something like that. Things just come around every time. But we're talking about Adam and Eve's family. Humanity. And really our flesh is the culture, the, the way we lived, the way we thought in our previous family apart from Christ. And God, as we get to know Jesus, he's continually inviting us to be a part of a new culture because we're new creations. In fact, the Bible puts it this way in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. By the way, whenever your pastor reads a verse and there's the word behold in there, God actually needs audience participation to get the full force of the verse. Because when, he's, when the Bible says behold, God is wanting you to behold something good. So I'm going to reread that verse, and I'm going to give you a cue and go like this. And when I get to the word behold, I'm going to go like this. And I need you to say behold with passion and force and without shame. All right? Can you do that for me this morning? All right, here we go. All right. Therefore, encounter... If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold. The new has come. And God is wanting us to view one another in a new way. To realize that in Christ we are new creations. And to look at people around us who need Jesus as being made in the image of God who God is wanting to turn into a new creation with them based on the power of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is saying if God sees people that way, how can we not see the people around us in the same way as a whole new creation because of who Christ is? And remember who's writing all this led by the Holy Spirit. It's the Apostle Paul who at one time was known as Saul. And he spent a whole lot of energy when he was known as Saul, you know, basically persecuting Christians and having people take their lives. And at the time for Saul, everything was wrong about Jesus Christ. And yet then he was on the road to Damascus and he met the living Jesus Christ in a vision and he recognized that he was the living Messiah who had come to this earth and died for him because of God's love for Saul. And he embraced Christ as his Savior. In that moment in his life, he realized everything was wrong about Saul. And he became a new creation. And he began to live his life in a new way. And he began to realize that all of that hate from his past, all of that wickedness, all of that wrongness, all of those things had been nailed to the cross and that he was new in Jesus Christ. And from that time on, he refers to himself as the chief of all sinners, that he is equal at the foot of the cross because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And not only that, but he's affirmed to the heights of heaven because of the love and acceptance that God gives him now as a child of God and the righteousness that God has given him. And so Paul says, I have to look at people through Jesus' eyes and he's, because he was willing to love me because of the cross even before I responded to him. And today, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we willing to look at the people around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to see them as the new creations they are in the Lord. And the truth is, the reality is, we spend our entire life in Christ, this side of heaven, catching up to who we already are. 
because of the grace and righteousness of God. And God has placed us in one another's lives to remind one another that behold, you are new. You are righteous before God. His love is poured out to you. There is no barrier caused by sin to separate you from the very presence of God. And he welcomes you into his love and his presence today and invites you to follow him in power and truth. And it's been our image throughout this series, the ancient Japanese art of kintsugi, where broken vessels are repaired and put back into use. And really, in thinking about humanity, humanity is God's artwork that was created for his glory. And humanity chose to break itself through sin and became broken and shattered. And so God took the initiative and sent his son Jesus because he loves us so much to come pay that debt for us and now to invite us back into relationship with him so we can pour out his goodness. And part of being poured out is knowing that the compelling love of Christ can change anyone and everything, including how we see each other. Oh, this morning you're sitting next to new creations. People made in the image of God. Finally, let the Christ love lead us towards forgiveness. I want to go back to 514 and read it in the New King James Version. Remind us where we started today. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And that word compel, it means to hem in, to hold on both sides. There's no way out. You can't back up. We are hemmed in by the love of Jesus Christ. We are held on both sides by it. There's no way out. And the cross always, always leads us towards forgiveness. And this is what Christ's love accomplished for us. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And when we are motivated by the greater power of God's love, it is impossible to not follow God's love where it leads us. When we're motivated by His love, it's impossible not to follow that love. And I believe one of the greatest motivators that we have in this life are our appetites. How many of you are motivated by food? Come on, it's okay to be honest out there. I'm kind of hungry. It's almost lunchtime. You know, but we're motivated by food. And by the way, just so you know this, I've discovered this. But many of the encounter staff are foodies, all right? And so if you want to invite some of them to dinner, I know they would love it. In fact, Pastor Jack and Elaine are right here. They should, you should celebrate their re-retirement together. So take Pastor Jack and Elaine out to dinner sometime soon. Uh, but we are motivated in great ways, and we will go to great lengths because of food. There's actually an ABC News story a couple years back. It was titled this, Waffle House Selfie Service Shows Audacious Initiative. And this man by the name of Alex Bowen, he was hungry at 2 a.m. in the morning, and he had a desire to get a double Texas bacon cheesesteak melt from a Waffle House. 
So he goes to this Waffle House in the middle of the night. He waits for about 10 minutes. No one helps him. He does a little snooping around, and he realizes that the lone employee that night was sound asleep. And so what he does is he sneaks behind the counter and he starts getting the ingredients together for a double Texas bacon cheesesteak meal. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. And he starts putting together all these ingredients for his sandwich and he turns on the grill and he starts taking selfies of himself as he's cooking. Later on, after he eats it, he takes a selfie. He shows a picture of him cleaning the grill afterwards. He even shows a picture of himself paying at the counter. And then he posted on social media, and the Waffle House owners discovered this, and they contacted him, and they basically said, hey, we are so proud of you. You made the most amazing double Texas bacon cheesesteak melt like that we've ever seen. But we would not recommend that anybody else do that, you know. Don't, don't anyone else do that. And they did, there wasn't any word in there of why there was no other employees that night or what happened to the lone sleeping employee. But what's clear from the story is that someone who really really wants a double Texas bacon cheesesteak melt will go to great lengths, great lengths in order to get one. And I wonder how far will we go to forgive others in the same way that we've been forgiven through the power of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18 goes on and says this. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God added up the indebtedness against him because of our sin. He took my debt of sin and your debt of sin, and he transferred it over to the account of Jesus Christ. And yet, even after he did that, he wasn't done. He wasn't finished yet. He loves us so much. Not only did he take my debt of sin and your debt of sin and transfer it over to the account of Jesus Christ, but he took Jesus Christ's righteousness and transferred it over back to our lives. So that now... When you've embraced Christ as your Savior and embraced the love that God loves you with, when God looks at you, he sees his son or his daughter with the same eyes that he sees his son, Jesus Christ. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And all we need to do is accept that gift. And we can enter a relationship for eternity. Living in that love living in the power of his truth, following the Lord with all of our heart as his son or daughter. That's the love we're controlled and compelled by. We're hemmed in by it. We're held on both sides. No matter what we do, no matter how far we run, there's no way to escape it. We're hemmed in by the love of Jesus Christ, which is why when we fight forgiving people around us, we're so miserable. Aren't we? When we hold back from forgiving the people around us that God has placed in our life, we're miserable ultimately because it's so far from the heart of Christ for us. And Paul says we're compelled toward the ministry and the message of reconciliation because the love of the cross can change anyone and everything. And what a great message to share. 
And Christ's love compels us towards forgiveness and restoration, whatever that may look like in a given situation. And yes, there are steps to restoration. It's a process that God does in our lives. But the freest people in this life, the freest people, hands down, are the ones who grieve their hurts before God and forgive based on the power of God and leave the results up to Him. Those are the freest people. They understand the truth and the freedom and the power of what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, when he's talking about Jesus as an example and asking us to follow the example of Christ. And Peter said this of the Lord, when he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. And when we become motivated like that, we become a great power for God's glory. We shine for him whenever we run towards forgiveness, whatever that may look like, and no matter what difficult process it may be a part of. And notice the Bible also says both the ministry and the message of reconciliation. We have a ministry of forgiveness that we're all called into, and we have a message of forgiveness, a message of reconciliation, that the love of the cross can change anyone and everything, even me, even you, even today, if you'll follow him in that invitation. You know, I know sometimes when you've been at a church for a long time, or if you're newer to a church, I've met some folks who are brand new today, and others who have been here for about a month, you're, you're as new as I am. Uh, I'm so thankful to have gotten in. You're like, you're like the people I know best so far. So <laughs> I'm looking at someone in particular. But sometimes when you're at different seasons of a church, it's hard to know, well, which ministry am I supposed to be in? You know, should I be in the youth ministry? And if you love teenagers and you love Jesus, you know, Milo or, is it Milo or Milo? Milo. Milo would say, yes, be a part of our youth ministry along with Pastor Austin. Or you go, well, man, if I love technology and I love singing, you know, should I be a part of the worship and arts ministry and the production ministry? And Pastor Jason would say, yes, if you love Jesus and you can sing and don't have a voice like Pastor John, come, be a part of the worship ministry. By the way, I make joyful noises. That's all I do. And I've been in the back making joyful noises and seen some of you turn around and look at me, all right? <laughs> There was a time once where I was a part of a Christmas Eve service, and I just got done giving a devotion, and I was in the back, and everybody was singing Silent Night to their heart's content, as well was I, and then I realized that I had left my mic on. Now, thank God for an amazing sound person. They had turned me off in the main room, but forgot to turn me off in the lobby. And I was singing Silent Night to my heart's content. And it was blaring in the lobby. And all of a sudden, like all of the ushers all at once came running in. And they're like, stop. <laughs> stop singing. So someday I will sing for you as a church, but it will probably be in heaven. All right? Just, just so you know. You know, but should I help with children? And Gloria, as she shared today, would say, Yes. Or should I help on Thursday nights at Celebrate Recovery and helping people bring their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups to the Lord? And if you have hurts and habits and hang-ups and know the Lord, and that's all of us that have those, then man, Celebrate Recovery is a great place for all of us uh, to be a part of. And we're so thankful for all who are involved in that. Because at Encounter, our mission is to encounter God 
and to encourage each other and to engage the world. And we want you to encounter God in so many powerful ways, one of them being a part of a worship celebration on a regular basis like you're doing right now. Another thing we want you to do is to encourage each other, and there's so many ways that God calls us to encourage each other. One of the ways is being a part of a small group where you can have friendships that are centered around Christ and centered around the Word of God. We also want you to engage the world, and God leads us to engage the world in so many different capacities through our careers and so many different avenues. But one of the ways we engage the world is through being a part of ministry teams as a church family. And so no matter what ministry team you're a part of right now or have been a part of or might even be thinking about being a part of in the future, everyone in this room is a part of the ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness. Everyone is called to be on the forgiveness team because of the compelling love of Jesus Christ and His forgiveness for us. And the way you know you're on that team is when you're heading down, heading towards forgiveness in your life instead of running away from it and it's being, as it's continually poured out in your life through Jesus. It's fascinating because earlier in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul who's writing to the Corinthian church, he actually mentions... Something that happened in the Corinthian church family. We don't know what it was. He doesn't mention any names wisely, but he gives us just enough details to realize that somebody in the church did something that hurt a bunch of people. We're talking ugly hurt. And that person had gone through a process with the Lord and was genuinely sorry and had asked for forgiveness, not only from the Lord, but from the people around them. And the church was still holding them at arm's length, which is a natural response. And so Paul says this, he wisely doesn't say too much, and we can fill in the blanks, but he says in chapter 2, verse 10, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Another translation says, so that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. And again, Paul doesn't say too much. He wisely doesn't call anyone out by name. But what he's telling us is that the evil guy, he loves to divide the church. He loves to take us away from the oneness that we have in Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that the Bible speaks about harshly, fairly often, it's when we take away from the oneness of the body of Christ. Where we get, we, he says we fall prey uh, to those schemes. And if we're controlled by the love of the cross, we'll be hungry, hungry for the ministry of forgiveness, for the message of forgiveness. And Paul finishes with talking about sending us as unbreakable vessels in verse 20. He says, therefore, therefore, based on everything I've said about the compelling love of Jesus that can change anyone and everything, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And one of the greatest joys of being a Jesus follower is that we are sent we are called to go and to be ambassadors, to represent his love to people around us. And then one of the last things he says is if you've never met the love of Jesus, 
You've never met him, and you don't know him as your Savior and Lord. You're missing out on the greatest love that you could have this side of heaven. He says, embrace him. Receive him. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because the love of the cross can change anyone and everything. Even me. Even you. So that we can be poured out for his glory and our blessing. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now and we just pray for your love to be poured out over this room. Different people walked in today with different burdens and feeling like different things were separating them from you. Father, we thank you that your love was poured out for us before we ever recognized it while we were still sinners. And Lord, we just invite you to wash us over with your presence and truth today. We thank you that we're new creations in you. Father, we offer up our hearts and if there's some forgiving we need to do, we ask for your power to do it because we don't have the power and we leave the results up to you. We take away the right to punish and just invite you to work. And Father, we just ask that you would let us leave this place as sent ones, compelled by your love, hemmed in by your love, held on all sides by it, as the new creations you've made us. We love you, Lord. Amen.